tuning in to episode sweet 16 of Pierre Pressure Podcast. I am your host, Pierre Pressure de Guyon. Today's episode is really special. I got to interview two of my favorite people in the world, Lisa Marr and Paolo Devanzo. Paolo and Lisa got together almost 20 years ago, and now they run the Echo Park Film Center, which is a co-op and a collective with the help of a lot of other talented people. But they are the head and the heart of the Echo Park Film Center. Before I get to them, I just want to announce that my new album, Franglais, Franglais is ready for pre-order and will be released August 25th. I'm really excited about it. I've been working on it for a long time. It's an album of my favorite indie rock, punk, alternative songs. J'espère que vous savez que cela va être noté dans votre dossier en permanence. Translated into French, performed in French. I recorded it at my studio. This studio right here that you hear the cicadas buzzing from. And I recorded it mostly solo with some help from some really great musicians, including drummer James Fletcher, drummer Chris Stromquist. Multi-instrumentalist Dylan Nowick and a bunch of other people. So it's got some good people on it and I'm really proud of it. It's a group of my favorite songs that I've listened to for years. A lot of them are political in nature. Some of them aren't, and they're all very meaningful to me. A lot of the songs on the album are written by groups or people that I've had the pleasure of meeting or working with. So please check it out. Go to pierredeguyon.com. Click on Franglais. Get it now while it's hot. And as far as politics in the world right now, I just want to uh, kind of check in and say uh, the Democratic primary is in full swing. We have 20 candidates going at it tooth and nail. I like pretty much all the candidates. I think any one of them would help turn this country around and put it back on a path to sanity, stability, and compassion. My wish would be that all the candidates would just get together and realize they mostly agree on everything. They, they agree on health care, immigration, um, gun control, climate change, education, all the important topics. They should just get together and agree on a nominee and then let all the other ones be part of the, of the cabinet and basically use all these great ideas that they've been bandying around and, and turn our country around. That, something like that may happen, hopefully. Um, but whoever you like, vote for them, support them. And then whoever gets the nomination, we just need to vote for them because we need to dump Trump and ditch Mitch. So if you are in Kentucky, please support Amy McGrath's campaign. She is working hard to get rid of the most intense cancer of our society right now, which is not just Donald Trump, but Mitch McConnell, who enables him and allows his corruption and divisiveness to flourish. 
So you can go to Amy McGrath's campaign, even if you're not in Kentucky. I believe that her campaign is one of the most important ones happening in the near future. Recently, we've had a spate of mass shootings, and the Republicans have proven again that they're completely uninterested in protecting our children and our country. They're completely weak on terrorism. They have no interest in creating a clear path towards helping us get rid of this massive crisis we have with terrorism in this country, domestic terrorism, white nationalism. In fact, Trump is an outspoken supporter of white nationalism. So we need to get rid of him. Getting back to Paolo and Lisa, they are fantastic human beings. They're a couple. They run the Echo Park Film Center, which is a nonprofit that does five different amazing things, which we'll talk about in the podcast. It educates and empowers people to make films and learn about films and screen their films. Lisa is Canadian, has been in a ton of really interesting bands. She started off playing with the Evaporators, which was a band formed by Nardwar the Human Serviette. If you've been on YouTube, you've seen him. He's interviewed everyone from Kurt Cobain to Snoop Dogg. He does really funny interviews, and he's a weirdo. Lisa was in his band starting out. Then she started her own band called Cub. They did really well, and they were in part of the, kind of an integral part of the Riot Girl scene in the '90s. Since then, she's had a bunch of really great projects: Buck, The Beards, The Lisa Mar Experiment, and she plays in the Here and Now with Paolo. Paolo grew up in Orange County, was really influenced by punk rock, which we'll talk about. But he also was part of some other great bands. I didn't get a chance to talk to them about everything. They have so much going on. Paolo was in a band called the Pockmarked Fisher Women. He was also in a band called the Natural Lights. Paolo was also in a seminal, and I would say salty and briny project called the Sassy Pickles. So throughout this interview, I sprinkled in some tasty nuggets of music from all of their amazing projects. If you are curious about what they are, you can find all the credits in the information page of Pierre Pressure Peer Podcast. Pressure. And Paolo and Lisa performed two songs live on this podcast, which you'll hear. So I'm really excited to introduce Lisa Mar and Paolo Devonzo to you. Here is my interview with them. How's it going, guys? Good. Couldn't be better. We're so glad to be here. It's excited. a beautiful Thanks for being in the uh, cottage in yeah. the California Hill cottage. California Hill Cottage. Yeah. All right. So Lisa Mar and Paolo Devonzo, you run the Echo Park Film Center, which is this nonprofit in Los Angeles dedicated to teaching the community about cinema. And it's a micro cinema and it's so many things. Could you tell me about it and how it started and how you guys met? Sure. And maybe I'll jump in first. So yeah, I've known Pierre most of my life. Um, you know, we're in the golden years, not the golden years, but we're older, older people, wise people. Um, but my parents were activists um, working for social justice for change. They passed away very early in my life. So I wanted to honor their legacy of giving and combine three things that were important to me, which were activism, education, and filmmaking. So I, I had a dream of starting uh, the Echo Park Film Center, a media arts center that was egalitarian, open to everyone, celebratory of film for the right reasons in the belly of the beast Hollywood. So we opened um, in, I believe, the fall of 2001. And I think this is where we met. This is where the dreams began. 
Yeah, yeah. And I was living, just happened to be living in the neighborhood. I'd moved from Vancouver, Canada a few years prior to do music and other things. And, um, you know, I was just walking around my neighborhood one day and walked into this place. It seemed like there was something going on. And I went in and there was this guy and he had this wild, crazy hair and this amazing energy. And uh, he said, hey, welcome. We're opening a film center today. And I just made my very first Super 8 film with a camera I found in a thrift store in Joshua Tree. I actually made a little film to go with my music. So uh, I just started hanging out there. Someone said, oh, you, you want to have a, a premiere of, of these videos that you made to go with your music? Ask that guy at the film center. I was like, oh, yeah, that guy I met. So I went back and, and yeah, I had a show there and was welcomed there. And I love the energy. And I like to say first I fell in love with the film center and then I fell in love with Paolo. And here it is 18 years later and we're still together. And it's, uh, it's been a beautiful journey. Yeah, and I, and I say just one more thing. When you find a soulmate that you can work with and travel with and, and, and celebrate life with, I, we feel so blessed to have found each other. So, yeah, 18 years. Your life it. can change just by walking through a, a doorway. So, yeah. That's amazing. And so you, you mentioned you were, you were making films for your, um, for your music. So you've been a musician for a long time and have done a ton of stuff. And so it started off as, uh, you started off as a musician, obviously. Um, you're Canadian. So let's go back in time and to, to Canada, to young Lisa's life as a musician in Canada. You started off with, I think you started off with a band called Cub. Was that the first, kind of the first situation? Yeah, I was initially in a band called The Evaporators, which okay. is still going, and it was helmed and is helmed by Nardwar, the human serviette. Are you serious? So Not the my... guy who does interviews? Yes. Same Seriously? Guy. Yeah, so no that way. was my introduction to Love rock and roll. Yeah, he's amazing. Oh. And he was like a teenager when I met him. We all did college radio together. Oh, so no that's way. another, you know, very fertile ground. If you're wow. into music or you want to be in a band, join your local college radio station okay. and you will meet amazing people. And Wait, so, so you were in a band with Nardwar? Yeah, I was in his band because wow. I said, I really want to be in a band. I really want to be in a band. I always loved to sing, okay. but I was never in a band. And he said, if you uh, learn how to play bass, um, learn these 10 songs and get a really cool outfit in five days, you can be in my band. So that's how it started. And I just, you did it. I did it. I managed I to do it. it. Amazing. Just by listening to Ramon's records over and over. So that was my first band. And then, you know, it's fun to be in someone else's band, but it's more fun to be in your own band. Of course. So then that then Cubs started after that. And, and that was a band that was, you know, two friends. And none of us were, you know, exactly expert musicians, but we just had a lot of energy and we liked to play. So... Yeah, so you, it's so, more fun. To, so you started. You started Cub with, yeah, so Cub with started a friend, two friends, two friends, and it uh, was a three piece. George. First, it was Valerie who made candy and um, was a kind of a self taught drummer with a very amazing style. And and Robin was the guitar player. I'd never played guitar before that. We also met at the radio station. So yeah, and there was just no plans that it, we just thought we'd play music in our basement forever.
popular. And then Valerie left when it started getting a little too popular and Lisa G jumped in. And, and yeah, I think it was just that right time where college radio was, you know, really receptive to people doing new things. And it was kind of the anti-grunge a little bit, sort of riot girl adjacent. And it was yeah. just a good time to, to do your own thing. And people would, you know, put on shows and invite you to stay at their houses. And it was just a beautiful time to, to be part of this scene. When you say Riot Girl adjacent, so like you're in Canada, so you're near kind of like all the Seattle stuff or whatever. A lot like was going Olympia. on in Olympia. Yeah. Olympia was yeah. the epicenter for that at that time. Everyone was kind of coming through there. And we weren't a political band necessarily, but we were more about just having fun and telling people, you know, you don't need to be perfect to, to do it. And that was really the whole agenda. Like, if we can do this, you can do this. And, and start your own band, start your own zine, start your own art space. And that was kind of the legacy of that band that I'm really most proud of because so many people did that. Yeah. And that was my connection to the film center because right. I feel like the film center has that same vibe. Exactly. So, yeah. Yeah. Like just do stuff. Go, go out and do it and make it happen. And was there stuff going on in Canada or like what was what music were you into back in the day? Way back. I like to get a little sentimental on this. Way program. back. Yeah. Well, you know, I always loved all kinds of music, but there was a lot of um, really cool music coming out of Vancouver just sort of before us, like bands like the Pointed Sticks and the Modernettes, I loved that wow. stuff. I don't know that. So they were Is like that Canadian. Yeah, Vancouver? Canadian. Okay. Yeah, right from Vancouver, and they were really kind of poppy, but also kind of like kind of friendly punk. I would say it was very melodic, which is totally your vibe and has been right yeah. all along. Extremely yeah. catchy, poppy, and I like catchy tunes. Something. Yeah. Starting from Shaky's Pizza as a young girl. Right? That, that was, was kind of my that was my debut. I, I sang Here Comes Peter Cottontail at Shaky's Pizza on my tenth birthday. Yeah, a little wow. older than you. Yeah. Right? yeah. 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 Amazing. That was my public public debut, and I just I've never looked back. That's amazing. And then Paolo, like I know you. Full disclosure, we you know we. We went to college together. Yeah. We're like, you know, brothers from another mother. I know you're OC kind of, uh, like, talk a little bit about your OC punk. Yeah. Like being the punkest kid in Irvine. Punkest kid in Irvine. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, those suburban punk rock kids, right? Yeah. Where you, you go home to a middle class house, but you're during the day you put on your Doc Martens and you shave your head, right? So right. a very benevolent punk uh, origin, but, right. but very significant. You know, finding punk music to me was liberation. It was like yeah. DIY. You could do things yourself. You didn't, you know, I still love pop radio, pop songs, but, but the power, the aggression, the, the passion of punk music was was really what kind of channeled me to the film center, channeled me to make zines, channeled me to travel the world. Like it was this, you could do it. You didn't, you, you validate yourself. So yeah, so my claim to fame, one of my claim to fames is in high school, I went to Woodbridge High School, which one of your other guests, Mike Rojas, also went to Woodbridge. But the rival high school was University High School. Okay. And a young man named Zach De La Rocha was in a band <laughs> called Hard Stance. And we, were, we would go to punk shows. We'd go to Fender Ballroom in Long Beach. Oh, and, I love that place. Yeah. So the first album, the first band he was in was called Hard Stance. And I still have somewhere buried in my probably in my, in my in my closet is a cassette tape of Hard Stance where Zach played guitar and and I sang backup vocals. So Paolo, you're gonna find that cassette. We're gonna digitize it and, and it's gonna play on the podcast right now. Awesome. That was hard stance. 
<laughs> With Paolo sitting in the background. Wow. Yeah. We're going to make that happen, right? And, and we could now sell it on eBay for maybe yeah. thousands of dollars. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Hard so, stance. Hard stance. Yeah. That's great. It's awesome. And so you're always into that stuff and uh, and the philosophy that goes along with it. And then, sure. uh, and then you studied film at UCSD. Studied film and, you know, political science and film, having parents that were, were activists and then understanding the power of cinema for social good and also for propaganda. You know, the turning point was when I lived abroad my, my junior year in Italy. It was during the first Gulf, Gulf War, Papa, Papa Bush, and you really saw the CNN, this sanitized war where no Americans were dying and everything was beautiful. But then in Europe, you were seeing, you know, Kuwaitis and Iraqis being murdered and killed. And sorry, Vivian, the heavy topics, but these are significant things. And understanding that media could do such good, but also could do such horror and then like hide, shield people from the truth. So, so I started a double major at that time and, and led, you know, once again, ne never overtly um, political actions in my own work, but really creating an environment where people could speak out about injustices through the film center. And now we've propelled, you know, th tens of thousands of people forward, um, celebrated documentary filmmakers, celebrated alternative ways to tell stories and, and really starting with this, this origin of punk, really. Yeah, I mean, so going back, it's like in the 80s when we grew up, in the, it was like Reagan was the big bad guy and all the whole genre like was around, you know, being mad at Reagan. And, and no nukes. And no nukes. Yeah. And Amnesty International, all those. Apartheid. Yeah. Yeah. All those very were kind valid, of our big issues. Yeah, yeah, very valid issues and they were, uh, they were motivating. Here is a podcast brought to you by somebody climbing a mountain. And so, you, Paolo, you... you come from another culture you were born in Italy and um, you're Canadian so like you both have Lisa's Canadian Paolo's originally Italian we sort of have a similar background in that way where you've been able to look at the United States from the outside sort of throughout your life and yeah. and love it but also be very critical of it and see what could be better with it I feel like that's something that informs how you guys operate if For I'm sure. not mistaken and it's definitely something that I can relate to so like you came as a kid, seven years old, to America. Your parents are probably very excited to live in America like mine. But it's like it's sort of the immigrant reality in a way. Yeah. It's, it informs kind of how you see America. Yeah, no, um, for sure. Yeah. And so I think, and, and you guys travel a lot all over the world. So you get to see sort of how people uh, see America. So how, would you, how, how does it look these days from other parts of the world? How are people seeing the situation in America? I mean, maybe if you want to talk about like the Sweden example, right? Yeah, I that think was... it's interesting. Some places we go, you know, people are very enamored. Oftentimes we're listed as Los Angeles filmmakers, Lisa Mar and Paolo Devonzo from the Echo Park Film Center. People get very excited about that because there still is the mystique about Hollywood and film and, right. and, you know, and so part of our agenda is to sort of say, you know, there's other ways to make movies than the Hollywood system. Right. Um, you know, and in some places that really resonates. When we are in India, you know, they're really in the shadow of the Bollywood system. So there's not really an experimental film culture there. So okay. to invite other people in to make films, you know, they could kind of relate to it in that way. Um, we were actually in Sweden um, during the 2016 election and, you know, kind of were watching the results come in from another place and kind of, you know, went to bed and woke up and it was felt like a whole new reality like yeah. it felt like the world had caved in for us personally yeah but that day we were teaching and we were teaching at a school um that was full of refugees and newcomers people from afghanistan refugees to sweden to sweden oh, interesting. teenagers okay. who had recently arrived and they were in a school to learn swedish and also english um 
but they were from uh, Syria and Afghanistan and Somalia and Vietnam and China. And some of these people, you know, the young man from Syria had his travels. He'd been on a boat and he'd lost everything he had. had, The boat had capsized. He, you know, emerged with his life. And that's it. Everything was 100% lost. And and they were in the school and, you know, trying to start a new life for themselves with so much hope and so much promise. But they looked at us that day. We started with a conversation about the election because everyone was talking about it. Everyone was saying to us, are you okay? Are you okay? But they looked at us and said, why does America hate us? That was the question. Yeah. And we literally just started to cry. Like it was such, we were already feeling so... I, I can't even describe it. Yeah. Like just so Got ill it. and yeah. so yeah. confused and, and so, and then, and just hearing that and realizing, yes, this is how the world sees America right. as, as haters. Yeah. And, and, you know, we love our community in, in Echo Park at the film center. There are a lot of obviously good people here, but you just realize that that is the perception. And, and in a way that is the statement that that election made. Right. Like we don't care about, about you. anybody. Right. And America you're first. not welcome here. And, you and know. we can norm- normalize hatred. We can norm- normalize intolerance. Like, it's okay to be bigoted. Like, that's what yeah. this election has told the world. But You can say anything yeah. you want, and there's no accountability. And, 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 and it was just heartbreaking. So yeah. we had that conversation with people to say, like, no, that is not, that's not what America is. That's not what America stands for. It is this person, this time, this group of people um, that are vilifying others. But please, let's hope for a global unity and and through art maybe we can approach some of these subjects we're not going to solve the world's problems by making a film but by having a dialogue by expressing ourselves through these mediums by inviting other voices um, to share we can at least provide space for other perspectives and and strong amazing stories that maybe we're not hearing about as much as we should So from that, you know, from what you just said, tell me more about the mission of the Film Center. Like, obviously, I would love like a little bit of a, more of a background of everything you do. If you can encapsulate it for people so they, they don't know all the things you do. Yeah, um, we would love to talk more about the Capric Film Center. So we do five things and, you know, my hand reminds me what they are. So um, we are a free school for youth. So mm-hmm. we've taught over 10,000 young people absolutely free filmmaking. We're not a Hollywood boot camp. So it's about social justice filmmaking. It's addressing issues of immigration reform, affordable housing. We work with largely a population of color, students of color, um, recent immigrants. So um, we believe everyone is a storyteller, but not everyone has the tools to tell their story. So we provide those tools for free. So the education, always free for youth and for seniors. Hmm. So also elders, we do free classes. Wow. Adults pay, maybe 20, 30 bucks. You learn Final Cut Pro, you learn Premiere. Um, so education is paramount. Maybe we'll bounce back and forth. So the education is number one. Yeah, we have a cinema, so it's a 60-seat micro-cinema. We're in a storefront space, so it's on a very busy intersection in L.A., but it's serviced by a lot of bus routes, and you can ride your bike, and, and we probably have the most diverse cinematic programming in the city because 
people making their very first film have a venue. People that have been making films for 50 years have a venue. And everybody's really treated the same. There's kind of a non-hierarchical model in place. Mm -hmm. Anyone can suggest a screening. And we're run as a co-op of, you know, 20 individuals, some of whom are former students. And everybody, you know, will volunteer to take on a screening. So um, that's happening, you know, two, three times a week. We do over 200 events a year. Uh, so, yeah, that happens, the cinema. And it's community curated, so anyone can propose an idea. We're not like a precious or like kind of elitist about our programming. So the cinema, the school, we're retail space, so you mm -hmm. can borrow gear, computers, light kits. Once again, back to this, everyone's a storyteller, but maybe you sell fruit or you work at the grocery store, or you, you know, you sell insurance, but you don't have access. So the tools we provide, so the education, the tools, a place to show the film. And, and one of the things that we also provide is a really affordable telecine service. So it's amazing how many people have old home movies, I see. family films, or you know, films they oh, made wow. in art school or whatever, and we can transfer those to digital. And that's oh, cool. traditionally quite expensive, yes. but we have an affordable way to do that. So we've had amazing things happen where someone's saying, um, my dad's in the hospital. We don't know how much time he's got left. I'd really like for him to see these films that wow. he shot of the family as we were growing up. Can you do that? Yeah. And so we'll do that. You know, We'll stay up all night to transfer for people's films someone came in with a whole bunch of films that their father had made when he was in Vietnam as a soldier and wow. instead of writing letters he would shoot film wow. and he's long since passed away but the children want to celebrate that legacy maybe even make a documentary film about that so there's amazing stories that come through that that's something that I think we love to do and it's really important in our services I got your picture artist residencies so we invite people from around the world emerging and established filmmakers to spend a month with us usually it's in August and they come and we give them housing and a bicycle and a little bit of a stipend cover their travel costs and access to everything in the film center invite them to make something inspired by their time with us and then to teach what they know to usually we do a youth class we get a lot of animators for some reason in the summer months um, but then the local Folks said, what about us? So then in response to that, we started a local residency called LA Air, mm -hmm. LA Artist in Residence. So people that live in LA County can spend two months with us and they also get a stipend and make work and we have a free screening of whatever they make at the end of their two months. And lastly, Paolo's favorite. My favorite, I love talking about it. So, I mean, Lisa has the brilliant ideas and I help kind of make them come true. So about t 10 years ago, we were making a film um, uh, on the Rosebud Reservation with the Lakota Sioux. And we said, wow, we'd like to come back and, and make a film with your young people. And they were like, we have one computer. It's in the tribal office. So we said, wow, what if we took everything at the film center and made it itinerant? So we bought an old school bus repurposed from an mm -hmm. Air Force base, um, gutted it, put solar panels on the roof. Mm -hmm. It runs on vegetable oil. And it's a fully functional film school and cinema. And it's about these paradigm shifts, right? If you're in New Orleans in the Ninth Ward and you tell like a young child, you can run a car off waste. You can propel this vehicle off, you know, renewable energy. So it's not just about storytelling, making films. It's about seeing the world in a different way. So this cinema bus, a filmmobile, we call it like the bookmobile, the play on words. It's been all through Mexico. It's been in New York City and mm -hmm. back. We've had shows with you and your family in Harlem and in Brooklyn and these kind of sort of places. But it's really about the gesture, mostly in Los Angeles. If a kid lives in South Central, maybe it takes three buses to get to the film center. It takes two hours. We can go to them. So it's always free. We provide these services. 
Um, and it's magical. Yeah, the film is kind of birthed some other vehicles. We spent some time in Holland and got really inspired by the bike culture there. So we got a, a box feet. It's called a, a bike with a box on the front so we can have a mobile cinema that's pedal powered and we can ride what? around. And, Wait, explain that. How yeah. does that work? Well, you can have, you know, a battery powered Projector. Projectors, or it's we like bur- a generator. Yeah, you can fit a generator in there. So then you can really go anywhere. We've done screenings with food, not bombs, or we can go, you know, into parks or along rivers, and you know, just show up and have a screening that way, or even be screening while we're riding the bike through the city. And then the latest one is called. Really the- seriously, like yeah. you're mobily screening. There's a, there's as a screen attached to the front of the bike, what? and as you ride your bike, you're showing movies. Yeah, amazing. Yeah. And people can see from the other side. Like exactly. It's, it's like a, a exactly. scram or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Exactly. Let down the drawbridge. Bring out the horses. We'll go riding. We'll go riding. And then the most recent thing is called the LA Airport. So for the artists and residents, we got a cute little custom-made trailer. And um, so that's a space that people can live in. It's a mobile lab. And it's also, it has rear projection screens in there. So um, we can use it as a, also a screening venue. Because, you know, space is contentious now. Everywhere you go, these are some of the universal conversations we're also having. Where do you um, live if every place is unaffordable? If you're getting right. you know, evicted without notice, we have so much stuff in the film center after 18 years, it is crazy in right. there. And we fear the day that you know our landlords will just refuse to negotiate. Sometimes right. you don't even have that option to see if you can meet a higher rent. They just say, bye. And so how do you continue to do your work? And we think that you know mobile itinerant activity is our future. Well, it also brings up um, an idea, which is that every space in a, in a city these days is an advertising space, right? Everywhere you go, there's, if it's a wall or a billboard, there's a place for something to be sold. And so you're kind of flipping that on its head and saying, this space can be a place for us to be creative and show things and open people's minds, which yeah. is awesome. Cause it's like, you know, there's this gray area of like projecting. You're not actually like painting on anything. So you show up, you occupy that space for a moment and then you're out yeah i love that um can we follow up on that notion because we never get permits right because we say exactly you're saying like yeah take back public space this Mm -hmm. is your sidewalk this is your city park like let's sit here let's enjoy the night we've even done things it's now defunct but there was something called hollywood video where it's like blockbuster you'd rent videos so we set up in the parking lot and told people like don't go inside and spend ten dollars and, and rent a video and sit lonely on yourself you know at the couch at home sit in the parking lot and watch movies for free and people with some other people with other people yeah and share That's that experience great. you know it's about community the yeah. and dialogue and yeah opening So you guys have been, um, you know, you're, clearly your beliefs are run more along, you know, the socialist uh, reality. But you're operating a business in a capitalist system. How does that, like, how does that rub up against itself sometimes in your, you know, in your life? Yeah. No, Lisa says, you know, we are a nonprofit, five hundred one c three. So the majority of our funding is from grants, right? Mm-hmm. But Lisa says it beautifully. And would like, would you 
be seen in public holding hands with your funders, right? If Monsanto, right. you know, said we will fund you, we will say no, no right? But yeah. but still, like some foundations, you know, their money comes from the stock market, comes from like old family, you know, money, right. blue blood. So yeah, resource extraction. That's that's yeah. the history of philanthropy in the United States. Right. Like who is funding well, it's things? The railroad, your, your the steel yeah. Yeah, industry. Sure. You know, like all these things are coming from yeah, Dancing dubious, with the devil. Dancing dubious with the sources. Devil. Yeah. yeah. For sure. And that's been a carry through. You know, when I was playing music, it was in Canada, the cigarette companies would sponsor music because they sure. weren't allowed to publicly sponsor, but the Du Maurier Jazz Festival or whatever. And so that was all, or beer companies. So that would sure. always be the discussion back then in the 90s. Like, do you take this money or not? Right. Do you say it's a, a means to an end and that you're providing inspiration and stuff and you're not encouraging kids to smoke by taking that money? Or do you make a stand? You know, so that is a, a conversation that's been going on for decades. But, you know... Yeah, it's, it's something we have well, to deal with. Well, you guys with. think about it, and it's something that you care about. I feel like nowadays, there is no more, there's, there's really no like awareness around that anymore that's taught. It's like, if you can sell yourself to something, and they'll buy it, go. It doesn't matter who it is. It doesn't matter what the brand is. It doesn't matter. Go, go, go. People are just taught to like sell, sell, sell to the highest bidder. And I feel like just even thinking about that and considering that is is important. And it's something that people don't, you know, media education, like where's your money or, or I guess education around where, where money is coming from and where it goes. Right. And that's why we do try to self-generate as much as possible. We have a model where when people rent equipment, it goes back into the free classes for youth. When people come to the cinema and they pay that $5 suggested donation, it's mm-hmm. supporting a free workshop for seniors. Like people are invited to give and be part of it on a daily basis. We don't have galas. We don't have these large parties where people have to pay $150 a ticket or whatever. We don't do that. But it's like every day. And every day people come through the doors and say, oh, my grandpa was a filmmaker. Do you want his old camera? So that's Mm -hmm. another thing about what we do that really gives new life to older objects. It celebrates technology, not the latest, greatest. But, you know, what's the best camera to use? It's the camera you've got. It's not the latest, greatest, most expensive thing, right? It's the tools that you have. And you don't need a $10,000 camera to tell a beautiful story. You need heart and passion and the time and the tools to do that. So that's what we're grounded in. Was it destiny? I don't know yet. Was it just by chance? Could this be kismet? funding model like we've yeah. worked so much in Europe right in so many yeah. places where you know the socialist governments maybe 90% of, of a community organization is government funded right right and we were in Holland at a, at a point significant point in their history in 2012 where it shifted from like a leftist kind of government to like a more right-wing government yeah and the new person said art is a leftist hobby right made a declaration wow. and all these art organizations get their budgets got slashed wow and a lot of them crumbled right wow. so overnight just gone wow. and people so, that were our age that had made their whole life living as artists through the government system they would just propose a grant zapped. get the money do the project yeah. go yeah nothing gone so, so what is the wow. perfect model right like there is like and we're searching for that and we'll circle back to yeah. that like is it a worker own collective can we all you know do is it a totally volunteer entity where money is is not part of the equation you know these are but people issues, still but, need to get paid and and yeah. pay their rent and these are complex questions in a in a complex era for sure so yeah 
about something that I think is really interesting, which is that you guys are deeply like in love with old technology and film and watching the mechanics of, you know, 24 frames a second or whatever. Sure. But but you're clearly but you're not afraid. You're not shying away from like digital editing, all that. Those are tools. So like how do those two, two things work? Because they're you've sort of have as as time has evolved. Have you gotten more involved in like the digital side of things? And do you care one way or the other how things are made or how does that work sure. for you? We love analog just maybe you know it's from the tactile nature it makes you slow down especially now with young people i sound like the old man in the room but everything's so immediate and you take a picture on your cell phone and you send it to a friend like but where's the physicality we're slowing down we're thinking about editing and shots and mm -hmm. so but it, but but it started from a very logistical perspective in the late 90s you know computers were three thousand dollars video cameras were five thousand dollars like no one could afford that but you could buy a super 8 camera at a thrift store for ten dollars and buy a roll of film for five dollars and buy a projector for twenty dollars so you could ostensibly make a short film for 50 bucks right you could hand process um and as it, things changed we get it now like you know but you know people can do revolutionary things on a cell phone and that's awesome right yeah so we it's a hybrid of the two we still right. love analog but of course we are storytellers and whatever medium you can give people is is, is great you know yeah and, and, and there's and they can work together you right. know a lot, even if we're making films and shooting on film ultimately people are going to see it in a digital format and that's sure. fine we're not purists it was right. interesting this class we're teaching now one of the students said you know a filmmaker came in and he was talking about you know, film or death, and it really turned me off analog filmmaking because of this person's attitude, like digital was nothing and film on film was everything, but you came in and showed me that it's just it's one tool okay. among many and it's playful and it's beautiful, it's not elitist, and now I like the idea of shooting film again. Right. So, you know, I, it, we don't want it to be this precious, esoteric artist medium. It's a medium for the people, yeah. and, and that's the way film's going to survive and thrive not as this rarefied super cool thing we're not into that at all but i also think like knowing the way the mechanics of all that stuff w was created in the first place helps you understand like these apps you're like oh this app is emulating this thing you know of drawing on film or whatever yeah. you oh. know what it was not that you'd have to know where it came from in the first place but it's kind of interesting to know yeah where, even the word cut like you used right. to cut the film and right. when students do that they're like why oh, am I cutting? I'm yeah. cutting the film. Exactly. Like this light bulb goes off right. that, you know, and just the fact that you can't see everything, you can't rewind, you can't view it, it makes you a better filmmaker. It makes you a better artist. And this is what the young people say. Like, I had to wait, I had to plan, I had to, you know, this gift of processing. It's just a whole, it's a different relationship with time. It becomes a little bit more, invites you to think about what you're making a little more, which is nice in this fast paced world where everything's available, but everything's also disposable. What is it right, worth? Right, and that's I, an analog to, or a, a corollary to that for music would be, you know, you have digital. I use digital recording, and I love it. And you have, a, you know, an unlimited amount of tracks, but you have to. It's a little bit suffocating because you can just never end. It could just yeah. never end. It's yeah. like there's always another track. There's always, you know, the fifty seventh track of uh, Triangle or whatever. But um, so it's good to impose limitations on yourself sometimes artistically. I work with a lot of young people. You're around young people and stuff. And things have changed so much, I feel like, in the last few years, like as far as political correctness, like what there are so many sort of like landmines of communication and thought in our world these days that are really tricky for old people like us, yeah. <laughs> if I may say so. Sure. And we're always learning. And like, how do you navigate that? Do you find that that comes up in your world, you know, in your life with young people? Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, for sure. And we've all and we and we evolve. You know, yeah. we're always learning. You know, yeah. you always need to change. And for example, like we start off every class 
yeah. asking students to say, introduce themselves, ask them to you know, specify a gender pronoun, right, right. right? And these are things that didn't happen 10, right. 15 years ago, maybe right. should have happened. But, right. And so that's interesting too, like where, how people self-identify and allowing them to self-identify, mm-hmm. um, these sort of things. Also, we p- passed out a survey and I remember like one of the classes recently and we asked kids like the relationship to the internet and kids were saying like, I lost my, vir- I mean, once again, lost my virginity online, these sort of things, yeah. like things that, wow, like this is fascinating. Like what lost does that my mean? virginity online. Yeah. Which, what does that mean? You know, I don't know, but this is some of what the stuff. The yeah. I have never heard of yeah. that. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah. I think it was, yeah. First sexual experience probably, was yeah, online. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, that, that email is for old people yeah. that, you know, they've had multiple identities online by the time they're 13 or 14, that they don't remember a time, obviously, before the internet. Right. Like, it's just, it's a different relationship. But yeah, getting back to what Paolo said, I think it's about listening and learning. We, right. you know, we also start each class by saying, we don't know more than anyone else that's in the class. We know different things and they know different things. And that's why when we go to... Um, new communities, the people that are making the film are the experts. We're not the expert on their community because we're visitors. So we we meet in the middle with shared knowledge and we exchange knowledge and we exchange skills. And yeah, part of a big part of being a teacher and quote unquote is is being a good listener and and paying attention and evolving and and understanding what do people need from this experience. Not every community is the same. a different question you guys kind of operate in this i feel like a very charmed beautiful lefty world and i don't mean that as a as a (laughs) diss but do you ever rub up against like the other side you have to converse with people of different political values than you and have you found uh, ways to do that that are productive do you understand what i mean do you ever talk to righties and how do you do it yeah i mean i think the great equalizers, we do an open screen it's once yeah. a month. So it's like open mic at a bar without the booze and the hecklers, right? And that right. is curious because we don't censor work. We announce right. in the beginning, like if you're presenting work that maybe could be seen as offensive or like, you know, triggering, sensational triggering, right. please allow us, you know, let us know. And a lot of people don't. They, you know, they the just show, show up. Yeah. And they're overtly sexist or like, you know, sometimes verging on in a per, like, like subtly racist. And, and we, but we don't let it slide. Like we say, okay, wow, you just presented that work to a room. Yeah. Can we talk about it? Yeah. Like, you know, why did you choose to show this rape scene with this woman? Like, yeah. like what are you trying to say? And we're not embarrassing people, but we need that dialogue. You right. can't there needs just to be accountability. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So those are the moments where, wow, like, you know, it comes back to, to roost. But yeah. Yeah. But and public screenings also, yeah. you know, that's the beauty of it. Anyone right. can be walking by come up start a dialogue good bad you know we've been in you know we were in parts of ukraine that were this was years ago but it was a traditional kind of russian holiday spot and this russian man came up his kids were watching some experimental film and he came up and grabbed them and said get away from these orange americans you know because the orange revolution had just happened so what does that refer to orange what does that mean Ukraine, sure. you know, the, it's a fascinating place, and yeah. we've been going for the last ten years. We started, a, we bought a small property there, and we started a residency program right. 
for artists all over the world, but it's deeply divided. So Ukraine, kind of the Western part is very pro-Europe and they still speak Ukrainian. So after the fall of the Soviet Union, you know, during the Soviet times, everyone was forced to speak, you know, Russian and, and Ukrainian culture was, you know, stamped on. But after the fall of the, the change and um, the West is very proud with their origin, but the East closer to Russia still speak Russian and their alliances with Russia, right? right? So the Orange Revolution was a revolution that happened in Ukraine that was largely nonviolent. It was the orange kind of, the, that was the color symbolizing the left and the progressive movement. Mm. And so, but it's associated with Western culture. And nationalist Ukrainian culture. And nationalist yeah. Ukrainian culture. So this man was obviously pro-Russian. It was in Crimea. Yeah, it's since been I taken since back, been you know, by, by Russia. Russians, yeah. Right. Right. So it was heavy. So he didn't want his kid associated with that, you know, like leftist. Idea, Orange is a, a, another word for pinko. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Kinda, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And we were just, yeah. and it was very, it was, it wasn't, um, it wasn't left, you know, it wasn't socially conscious films. It was actually just very abstract films. It ah, was just colors on a screen flashing. And that was enough to decadent. say, this is threatening yeah. and decadent. Exactly. Get away yeah. from there. So, you know, there wow. are those moments in that way we couldn't really have a dialogue because this person was just, you know, angry and determined to get his kids away from us. And it was through our interpreter. Like, he obviously said it in Russian. We're like, yeah. what did he say? And they said, well, he said, you know, you can't watch this, you know. Yeah. So that was fascinating too, but yeah. But, you know, there is a dialogue and, and we're conscious of that. We don't want to just preach to the converted. We want people to be able to come in and have a dialogue. But the reality is, is that we're known as kind of an experimental space, a documentary space, a left-leaning space. So, you know, the audience is going to self-select a little of bit, course. you know, to come into the space. Which but is I like why the fact that you open your out. doors and if people come in and with some weird, some not okay or whatever, like you said, you're, you're going to get in their face and talk about it and or not in their face, but you're going to talk about it and just, yeah. uh, oh, okay, let's figure this out. We're, yeah. And you're educating in your own, you know. But I mean, and, and thank you, and we do appreciate that. But it, it also, but if someone from the clan said, "Can we rent your cinema to right. show a two-hour film?" We would probably we would say no. But right. in, no, in that exactly. case, because we don't they're using our venue as like yeah. to propel that mission yeah, forward. We don't, right. so, yeah, we don't tolerate hatred, yeah. hate speech, right. you know, right. uh, violence against women. You know, you know, any of this stuff is not yeah. tolerated. But sometimes, like you said, at an open screen, it will emerge, or in public venues, it will emerge. And you know, again, there is value and dialogue yeah um we talked about your like musical influences a little bit but can you talk about some like independent like independent filmmakers or film film people that have influenced you or who were sort of like a were a yeah a motivator for you either one yeah i mean it's funny like it's a question somewhere we get like interviewed for you know like journalism, a lot of stuff, and like, who's your favorite filmmaker? It's never about that, really. It's about more the spirit of making right. work, right? And there's people like a filmmaker, Bill Brown, who, you know, hops freight trains and rode his bicycle across the United States. And, and so that's sort of like hybrid between storytelling, but also community. That's always been my greatest joy in those sort of spirits. And someone, Helen Hill, who we often refer to is an animator who sadly uh, left this earth far too early, was murdered mm. um, in New Orleans. And her work has remained and become such a such an inspiration to so many f educators and filmmakers. So those sort of spirits in my heart. But yeah, our friend here. Naomi Uman, who you know um, spends long times with communities and 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 lives with them in their style, and then waits until they say, "Oh, aren't you a filmmaker? When are you going to take your camera out?" And that's when she starts making films with and about the community. So yeah. you know, people that immerse themselves in their work. We're lucky to live in a time where you know people are connected and we can support each other. And a lot of people are considering you know social practice as part of their um, artistic aesthetic practice, and uh, we get inspired by those people. 
Paolo, I have a question for you. Yeah. Can you talk about the influence um, in your upbringing, in your you know artistic uh, evolution of the Sassy Pickles? Sassy Pickles. <laughs> I think one or two Grammys. I don't remember. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe it's artwork a, and costumes. It's hard to remember. Yeah. Yeah. The Emmys, the Grammys, yeah, whatever. I don't know if you even Tony's. Lisa knows the sassy people. I have not heard. I've heard <laughs> yeah. of uh, something about the pockmarked Fisher women. That was humble. That yeah. was yeah. kind of after the, the tenure. That's also, yeah, part yeah. of your legacy. But the Pockmark sassy Fisher pickles women, I'd yeah. like you to talk yeah. about. I mean, you have sassy pickles. I think some of our finer venues were Cafe Chumbawamba. 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 Do you remember one of the one of the main songs? Do you remember the main, one of the hits? Um, smoke pot, pot, we smoke, smoke pot, 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 smoke pot, 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 smoke pot, pot, smoke pot, pot, smoke pot. Sassy Pickles were there any other words? There were not. And I don't know if that might have been our only non-instrumental song. Wow, that sounds like a super jam. And I think it was a three bongo band. It was a three bongo band. Me, you, and Alexi was it? Maybe a conga on occasion. Alexi loved the conga. Conga, yeah. And yeah, we had... We had hits like We Smoke Pot. Yeah. Probably our <laughs> finest. And we, you know, there, there are posters in this world that have us on the build. Oh, sassy is that right? Yeah. Oh, I, I believe so. The Sassy somewhere. Pickles. Maybe we'll find, yeah. Opening for Hard Stance. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> exactly. That would be a hard cut to find. Sassy Pickles. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that would be a hard one to find. Yeah. I just wanted to make sure, you know, we didn't leave that out. <laughs> sure. <of the> legacy. <laughs> um, going back, you know, going back to before your one of your first uh, bands we have to do this lisa sorry nico case played drums on some of your recordings talk about that how did that work out well nico was a sassy little teenager and she was from tacoma mm -hmm. washington and she was a little bit feral in those days and really? she would, yeah she was just wild and tough and she loved rock and roll there's a girl trouble song called nico loves rock and roll mm -hmm. because she would turn up at these shows these kind of garage rock shows uh in seattle and she would wildly dance on stage and she's just you know an amazing energetic spirit but she started I think it was the smugglers this band that were friends of ours they did a lot of touring and they met her at one of these shows you know they were probably on the bill with young fresh fellows or girl trouble and Nico was there and they met her and this kind of relationship started up and one of the first west coast tours we did um, Valerie, our original drummer, refused to ever tour. So if we oh, ever okay. wanted to tour, we had to find another drummer. Wow. Because she just made this thing like, I will not tour. So hmm. um, so we had Dave from The Smugglers. He was our drummer, and we were going through Olympia. We did a show there, and then we partied so hard. We were supposed to do a recording with Pat Malley at Yo-Yo uh, Studios. He did a great festival as well and put out records. And he was too hungover to play the drums. So Nico was there and we're like, you want to play? Because she, you know, was learning to play or was known as a drummer. And she said, sure. So she hopped on and she had a very kind of four on the floor. So I was just like, uncha, uncha, uncha. You know, kind yeah. of that was her drumming style. So she played. And then um, when we were going to do a Cross Canada tour, you know, someone said, oh, who are we going to get? And someone said, oh, what about Nico? Because she never seemed to really have a job or she always had a job. Okay. She could quit. And so she came on tour. So the first time she went on tour was with Cub. And the first time she ever sang on stage, she liked the song that I wrote called So Far Apart, and she wanted to sing it. So we said, yeah, come up and sing. So she sang that song. That was the first time she ever sang on stage. And she did another tour with us subsequently, but she started a band called Mao. And, and they were kind of like, if, if Cub, and this is like a, a ridiculous analogy, but Cub was kind of like the Beatles of Vancouver, and then Mao came along, and they were like the Rolling Stones. They okay. were like three girls, like super sexy, super like don't give a fuck like they were just like out there playing and I remember seeing them I was just like my jaw dropped I was like oh my god it's 
you know, this is the future, you oh, know, wow. they were just so much cooler than us and looser and more rock. And so, yeah, so I love that. And, and then Mao kind of, you know, evolved and, and then Nico went on to do her own stuff and the rest is history. But is there a recording of that stuff with her playing drums on it? Are there any of those recordings with the cup? Yeah, stuff? Yeah. yeah, actually a record just came out last year. Um, and it was a live session from CBC. There was a, a radio program called Brave New Waves. And uh, a lot of people in America would hear it, especially people that kind of lived on the border. They would tune into these programs, Brave New Waves and Nightlines, and they would hear kind of alternative music. And Canada always supports their artists. Uh, so, yeah, a live let's, uh, recording. Let's hear a little bit of it now, shall we? Check it out. We were, we were at the top of our game. This would, would have been 1993, May of 1993, I believe. So check it out. And also, I mean, on that, and you can play a ton of songs here, but Nico does a beautiful cover of one of Lisa's songs, In, in California. Cool. And it's uh, yes. on Austin in, City Limits. What's the song called? In California. In California. Yeah, Great. you can hear that Let's now hear a too. little bit of that now. Why not? Yeah. This next song is a very, very beautiful song written by my good friend Lisa Marr, who's a, a lovely Canadian lady. And uh, this song is about being homesick for Canada. And it's a, it's a weeper. times politically like what what can we talk about what what hope can we grasp onto for what's happening now in America like talk, I mean is it what's the best outcome that could happen in the next couple of years in your opinion and the worst yeah I think it's like what we can do is, is individuals as is, is activists you know I, I the political system frustrates me and angers me and but I'm not giving up I'm not one right. of those jaded people to say I'm not going to vote everyone needs to vote yeah this is crucial but how can you propel how can you act beyond that and right. some examples we do at the film center is through our curriculum through our not just the a venue for allowing people to speak and show their work but the classes we teach for example currently we have a class called Nepantla migration narrative so three of our co-op members are undocumented came to this country's young people from mexico you know never left and, and they're fighting for their their humility their humanity in the and they're openly defiant about their status right mm. and they're the ones teaching this class to young wow. people and so the, a lot of the students are undocumented are fearful of ice raids or, yes are living in the shadows and these young they're probably they're all young female you know filmmakers are like be defiant speak you know speak truth to power know your rights know your rights part of the film class yeah. is is a know your rights workshop where mm. you know what to do if police show up wow. so that's built into a curriculum where they're actually making experimental documentaries but part of it is just activist training in the reality of these times we live in wow that's great so it's like training people to yeah to know what to do if they're getting 
hassled by ICE or something. Like yeah, that. and I mean, obviously, there's such a poignant issue right now when you know children are being locked up at the border, and Trump mm-hmm. wants to build this ridiculous wall. So, like, how do we defend and, and support and be allies to these people living in immense fear, but also as people that are citizens of this country? How do we, you know, fight against this? You know? And also, how do I mean a big part of being you know a white person of privilege is stepping back like what how can we support things instead of always taking up more space you know do i need to always be talking as you know i i even think about my own practice as a filmmaker like what can i say as a you know middle class white person that's more important than someone who's in a much more intense struggle than i am maybe my job is to just step out step back listen more um, learn from others what's needed. And, you know, sometimes what's needed from, again, white people of privilege is money. Like, give your money to support other causes. You know, maybe it's right. not like stepping up and speaking at the rally. Maybe it's like donating to a cause that, that needs some fuel so that, um, you know, other people can take the lead and become the leaders and, and direct where we're going. Yeah. And that can be hard for people. And we feel defensive and sad and left out sometimes. But, you know what? It's time okay. to it's, it's time. time to move aside. Well, in that uh, on that subject, there's all these you know, twenty candidates for at least twenty for Democratic uh, president. Are there some people you like better than others? How do you guys feel about what's happening right now with the Democrats? Any picks? You know, personally, I'm not uh, looking at it that much. I want to direct my energy into. Um, organizations and people that I really want to support and that I maybe have a more personal connection with. Sometimes I feel like the circus amps up so much and takes up so much of my psychic space that I feel sad and paralyzed. And, you know, again, we worked with the community in the Arctic Circle on a film. Instead of giving my money to move on these days, I'd rather support their initiatives that are addressing climate change, traditional culture, supporting things, um, women and and, uh, girls, uh, the history of genocide in that country around native indigenous women and girls. That's frankly where I want to put my money and my time and my energy. I don't want to watch a million debates and hear a bunch of talking points. So, but also I'm a Canadian, I'm not an American citizen, so I I can't vote. So that's also part of my world. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's in the air, but I'm trying to focus my energy in, in positive directions. That absolutely makes sense. Paolo, you're an American citizen. Yeah. You need to, you're going to have to vote. I'm voting and I do point. follow. I'm just curious, just for yeah. fun. I mean, there's no, so many sure. people. For sure. And I do follow the debates. Yeah. I watched both of them, one live, one on the internet that a couple of days after I was, yeah. I was in Canada at the time. Yeah. And no, it's, it's, I'm, I'm excited, but terrified. Like, yeah. like I see these 20 candidates. Be starting very civil with respect as we should treat anyone mm-hmm. but I see it amping up and it, you know it's a contest there needs to be a winner so it will amp up and there will be will. some vitriol and there'll be some other things going on it, it, purely for fun and the names we talked about it last night at dinner you know Buttigieg I love his vision his clarity I love that he's openly gay I love that he's yeah. pushing the envelope in a different direction and has remained quite civil and, and respectful and eloquent and then uh, Kamala Harris, I, I I adore, but I mean, a lot of our young people are like, oh, she used to be a DA and she was locking people up, and now she has this facade of progressive spirit. So I don't know. There's a lot of mud already starting to be thrown around, and sure, but I, but I, yeah, I, I, and, and also, the money, the money involved in these election campaigns is heartbreaking. Like just the amount of cash it takes to get to the top of this race. Right. It's just a, a, a money race, but then you have someone like Elizabeth Warren who's not taking. 
yeah uh any super PAC donations that's that's interesting i yeah. feel like that's and i think kamala harris i'm not sure what her funding situation is but that's always what it comes down to who's paying for who's paying for it right who's paying for what and why does it take so much money to be a candidate i guess you have to pay for airtime or you know air travel and your whole organization everything right and why is the election a year and a half like i know a it's Europe, exhausting. like okay we start one month later we vote like that's crazy. I, f- I wish yeah. you could have 10 democratic leaders yeah like these I, I, w- I would take six or seven of these people and they could be in charge they all have great ideas they yeah. can work together i like this let them be the consensus people that run america yeah. by yeah. consensus i'll yeah. take it you know That's true. and if you come up with you know three or four or five non-insane republicans who could be in the mix great they have to not be fucking insane racists clowns (laughs) but you know so i don't know we'll see how it goes hopefully it'll be uh, all right how about hearing a song or two from you guys let's start by hearing a song that you uh are going to play that which you wrote which is called called rat race city ready you're ready we're ready one two three four City is an 
Well, first of all, it has that like signature Lisa Marr. You wrote it, right, Lisa? I did, yes. It has that just like so catchy. Thanks. Melodically, I love it. But it's uh, kind of a love song with to California, but love hate. Talk yeah. about it. Yeah, it's a, it's a love hate. It, it was actually inspired by a line from Ken Fountain, one of the co-founders of the Film Center. One day, he just left a note saying everything is dying, like meaning our equipment. You know, oh. <laughs> some days you feel like that, like, is anything going to go right around here? Yeah. So that was the, that was the key. But then, yeah, there's also some allusions to some other people. And in a way that song's a little bit about white privilege, like kind of, you know, thinking you're above it all and, and what's your place and how do we, you know, work together to survive and natural disasters and East coast versus West coast. There's, you know, there's a lot of little things going on there, but it's always nice to have a, a catchy little chorus to to bring us to through. sell it yeah let's hear a cheer for california everything yeah. is dying but we've got the water you know that's that kind of sums it up right yeah. there right but do we have the water sort not of. necessarily the ocean but then it's yeah, yeah it's, it's all, not looking so good it's all drying up and now we're in the cycle where it you know it pours rain then everything grows then it dries then it burns then it slides then you know we go around and then there's a drought and you know so that's the reality of california these days that's great. I love that song. And it's, it's, um, you write these really catchy songs. Do you remember your first, I mean, I know you did your song when you were 10 years old and you sang a song. Was that your first, uh, was your public performance? It wasn't my yeah. own composition. It wasn't. So do you remember your own kind of first songwriting situation? Well, I always, I wrote poetry and I wrote short stories as a teen, but mm-hmm. I didn't really write songs. I loved songs and I knew every song on the radio. And, you know, I had a friend where we kind of play name that tune so I could, you know, tell you any hit of the 70s within like the first three notes and we you know obsessively would call in requests to radio stations but the first song i actually wrote was called motel six which is a song i wrote when i was in the evaporators so it later became a cub song motel six about hiding out in a motel six you know the the term that was coined for cub kind of by a friend of ours was cuddle core right. so you know it's okay to be nice punk it doesn't all have to be like rah, 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 you know it's a you know, you can you can be melodic and you can have a punk aesthetic and a punk attitude, but it's kind of like Jonathan Richmond. Like, yeah. you know, I like my mom and dad. I like my hometown. Yeah. And I can still be a rebel and, and yeah. live my own life and and opt out of certain, you know, cultural traditions and be free. But I can still appreciate the beautiful little things in life. And I feel like that's kind of what my songwriting is about. It's about the moments in between. I like to think of my songs as little tiny objects that you can hold in, a, in your two hands, you know, small, intimate. And maybe there's a little gem of truth that resonates with people. If, if it's that, then that's the best. It, that's as good as it gets for me. Let's hear the other song. Another song that you're doing live. This one's called... Unemployment Line. This one's called Unemployment Line. Let's hear it. One, a two, a one, two, three, four. Done my time in the unemployment line. Working hard can be defined as barely hanging on And I've seen it in their faces Burn clean of any trace of Hoping for a life where they belong I used to say everything will be okay Cause I can earn a dollar without losing who I am But a college education mixed with commie inclination Seems to end, so this week I'm through with trying anymore. 
You've only got yourself to blame if you can't be like us. Well, I'd love to share the hate in this ages-old debate. Don't you know I'm late for the bus? Unemployment line. Yeah, that dates from when Paolo and I first got together. I was going to say earlier in the interview when we talked about the the, vi- the songs made for videos was for the Beards album, and that'd be fun to talk about. But the unemployment line, the LMX, is when we. Yeah, you helped me make this. It exactly. was shot on Super 8, and it involved some homeless folks, folks experiencing homelessness um, at a place called Dome Village. They were kind of part of the the film, but yeah, just kind of again talking about the haves and the have-nots in a way and what that means in America and yeah just that a lot of people get left behind and I think that's part of this anxiety it's part of the swing to the right it's people are scared and they're nervous and a certain way of life has passed we are not the center of the universe anymore maybe and um and you know when you talk about hope for the future I hope that this is a very tumultuous time that leads us to a better place where there is more Somehow there's more equality, there's more diversity, and it's going to have to get real because if it doesn't, we're destroying ourselves. So we have to come together in a way um, that respects the earth, that respects all voices and um, all visions, and we got we to gotta emerge from this united or we're going to die. So that's And that reminds me of what I was going to say about your other song, which is that, you know, there's kind of two ways to... Uh, to react to what's happening now, which is that, you know, white privilege is, is, is fading and you can embrace that and, and say it's great and you're championing other voices or you can hang on for dear life and be scared and be angry. And it's, it's really nice to see the way you guys have like just embraced that reality and are championing all the voices that are coming up and you're doing a great job with that. It's an example for the rest of us. We have so much more to learn and yeah. so such a long way to go, but it's a process. And just like with everything, things evolve and hopefully in a more positive direction. And I, I love unemployment line too, because it does hark back to like the New Deal, right? Kind of this age of where the government was helping people, right? It was a so, you know, more socialist era. And now with this Green New Deal, like we're harking back to this, can we all move forward together? Can we really celebrate all people in this in this crazy country we live in yeah yeah and some people being very vocal about that again back to the squad you know thank god for these people that are coming and just saying it like you know they were elected on a platform of being who they are and and they are gonna follow that through to the end and and these are voices we need to hear right and uh get used to it people like you know this is happening the thing that's so terrifying about right now is that the people who are terrified about losing the power of you know the white male privilege are also trying to tweak the system so that it doesn't 
uh, it's not a majority rule. So they're trying to turn it into a minority rule and keep it keep it going that way. There was a you know an article yesterday about how Trump could lose by five million votes and still win the electoral college. So the the really tricky game that we're in right now is to get the right people in power so that democracy can continue to function as a you know a rule by the majority, yeah. the voice of the people. And we're in a very very tricky time right now. Hopefully, it's all going to work out. <laughs> Otherwise, we might all be moving to Canada or Ukraine or I don't know. Where, where would you guys go? <laughs> well, everywhere has its problems. <laughs> That's Let's yeah. put it that way. So your community is your community. But yeah. um, And we thought about, you know, we, we joke about it. But after the election in 2016, we're like, why are we living here? But a lot of our peers, a lot of our parents of kids were like, we need you. And not that we're saviors. And it is a co-op and 20 people run it. But. But there needs the work, to be a space in yeah, Los Angeles. The work that, c- needs yeah. to continue. And yeah. so be it if we're there or not, the Echo Park Film Center provides that framework for people to continue that work. So, yeah. Well, thank you guys for what you do and for being such beautiful people and for continuing to fight the good fight. Thank you. What a Thanks pleasure. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Always a joy to reconnect. All right, guys. Thank you. Over and out. Peace and love. Bye. That was my wonderful conversation with the beautiful Lisa Marr, the fantastic Paolo Devonzo, the stupendous here and now of the magnificent Echo Park Film Center. Thank you, Paolo and Lisa. That was a blast. Thank you, dear listener, for listening. And please, order my album, Franglais, if you want to hear some good rock and roll in French, en français on vinyl you can hear it on your record player with little crackles and popples or you can listen to it on your computer with little zeros and ones however you like it it's available now on my website pierredeguyon.com where you can find out all about this podcast my musical projects and this episode is sprinkled with all kinds of musical nuggets from their career, both Paolo and Lisa's. In the credits to this podcast, you can find out more about all those songs. You can also go to echoparkfilmcenter.org or sellyourtvandcometothecinema.org. All right, everybody. Stay vigilant. Stay active. Stay focused. Fight the good fight. See you next time. Ciao, ciao, ciao.